Hello and welcome to Platforms for Future. This podcast is about building and scaling B2B platform ventures to help you to accelerate and de-risk your journey with practical tips and insights. In our conversations, we talk to founders, executives, and experts uncovering what they experienced and learned building their ventures. But we also cover new trends like ecosystem strategies, IoT and data platforms, Web3 and sustainability. This podcast is complementary to our Platform Innovation Kit toolset and the Platform Academy, where you can find more tools and learning opportunities for you and your team. For more information, please visit platforminnovationkit.com. And now, enjoy today's conversation. Hello and welcome everybody to our new episode of our podcast, Platforms for Future. With me, my lovely co-host, Natalie. Hello. Hi, Matthias. Hi. Today, we talk about Web3 and decentralized finance, and we have a special guest with us, book author and Web3 expert, Tilmar. Hi, Tilmar. Hello, everybody. Hello, Natalie, Matthias. Great Hi, to, Tilmar. to be here with you online. Yes, very good. And thanks for joining our conversation. Uh, Tilmar and I, we worked together in a project before, also together with Natalie, in decentralized finance. And we said, we definitely need to record a new episode about Web3 decentralized finance, because there's a lot of buzz out there and nobody knows more about this topic than Tilmar. Then Tilmar wrote a book. But before we go into all of those details, Tilmar, please tell our audience more about you. Who, who are you? And uh, yeah, how you caught fire about Web3 and finance and so on. Uh, th thanks, Matthias. Thanks, thanks for the compliment. Uh, I think there are always, always also better people uh, out there. But uh, yeah, to my introduction, Tilma, um, usually I introduce myself, right? There's the professional side of mine, there's the academic side of mine, and then there's a volunteer side of mine. And from the professional side is, uh, I started relatively early with crypto and, and Bitcoin in you know, 2016, later moved on and have been involved with the, the major projects out there, such as Cardano, as well as Seba Bank. Bank, uh, Bank Frick in Liechtenstein, which has been a pioneer uh, offering the first bank accounts to crypto companies. And over this, you know, I um, experienced uh, different stages from centralized to decentralized organizations, but from this a little bit later. Then the academic side is I'm a PhD researcher um, where I look at uh, data science, accounting and accountability and uh, how blockchain uh, has impact on these different topics. And then the volunteer side, I chair the working group education in the Crypto Valley Association, where we drive different topics in regards to education. And more recently have a call for papers covering exactly those topics we discussed today here, traditional finance, DeFi, where do we stand today? And this is pretty much uh, my all involvement from a professional to the volunteer side. Yeah, perfect. And um, you also wrote a book. Um, can you also tell a bit more about the book? Uh, yeah, I think that falls in the category of academia. And I come originally from the crypto industry and have a tax and accounting background. So I understand the traditional world, but I'm also somehow in the new world, right? But then I saw that my peers in the IT world, they're like, oh, how does this all finance work or banks? And from the other side, my banking and you know, lawyer friends, they're like, how does this crypto thing work? And what the title says, banking, Bitcoin, taxation, 
handbook um, is in three chapters where I cover the different topics, right? I explain how banks work, how offshore banking work, what is important. Then in the chapter of Bitcoin, I don't only talk about Bitcoin, I talk about crypto, DeFi, Ethereum, Polkadot, all you know technologies out there. And then last but not least, the taxation aspect in where I tackle the questions of digital economy and their taxation. Mm. Yeah, so we totally recommend. And the book is available online, right? To where you can uh, download the book, read the book, uh, and, and purchase the book, and then getting into all the, the details. Correct. It's bbthandbook.com. It's the first book you can actually buy with cryptocurrencies powered by Utrust. So, Tilmar, um, when I'm seeing only the title, I'm thinking, oh, my God, uh, you know, am I able to understand something, a book like this? <laughs> So um, can you maybe give a, a little bit of a, a kind of a macro view on, on what you talked about and, and more broadly what decentralized banking is to get started? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, let me pick this up because I uh, the, the sources and the information of this book, are, I, I think, and exactly what you refer to of professional law research journals, right? I've been at the IBFD in Amsterdam, one of the leading institutions. So I understand the wording may be sometimes difficult. However, the feedback of one of my, uh, you said, book purchase, one, one client, so to say, said uh, she was surprised that I could able be able to explain a difficult topic of paragraphs and exception in, in a very straightforward way. So everyone who is not... Uh, let's say, deep into the, those topics, banking, Bitcoin, or taxation, can absolutely understand it because I try to display or write the text in a way that non-involved people understand uh, Yeah, the these, these three topics pretty much, right? And, well, decentralized banking, I think, let's separate those two words is whether it's decentralized, let's say, finance and banking. And about the traditional financial world. I think we're all aware about how bank accounts work. We have our credit cards, which how they work, right? We all in our developed world pretty much use this. And we know that other countries which are less developed do not have this infrastructure in place to, you know, enter into commercial exchange. And when we look at decentralized finance, that's what I Easy, in an easy way would describe it, it's the basic financial activities which you can do, but online, digital, using blockchain technology, which creates something like an internet of value, which suddenly gives the opportunity for less fortunate countries to have a financial system, however, based on ones and zeros in the internet. So with basic applications, I mean, what can you do with money nowadays, right? You can you can send money and receive money. You can invest into money, right? Uh, those are pretty much the use cases. And those can be translated in the digital world, decentralized, online, which gives the opportunity for developing countries to participate in world trade. Um, our podcast is not about the countries, let's say, and politics. It's more about B2B and uh, B2B um, companies and how they can yeah, maybe 
switch their business model into the platform economic world, but maybe also thinking about Web3, decentralized world, and um, maybe organized by kind of decentralized platforms. So um, when we talk about yeah, decentralized finance, can you also maybe a bit more explain how is decentralized finance in Web3 different to, let's say, centralized finance in, in our world right now and also in the Web2 world we are living in with the, all the platforms? Absolutely. So I can, I can apply this onto, onto your industry. And um, that would fall in the, in the geographical use case, right, the Western world. So what do you need with your platforms, right? You need to transfer money, you need to pay bills, right? And then maybe... Uh, in, this, in that sense, <clears throat> the website in where I sell the book uh, is, is, let's say, a very basic example. But you can buy a digital good and do not, or you can pay by digital means. So not through your bank account, but, but using crypto for a product exchange, right? And this can be applied on a global scale if you have like a shopping platform, right? Maybe in the future, it would make sense to integrate um, payment acceptance in cryptocurrency uh, for various reasons, right? I think it's the outreach from who are your clients, uh, you reach a new customer base, so everybody who has crypto would be a potential customer of yours. So I think the payment activity is something what is of high value for your industry. Pilma, on this one, when you're saying you're enlarging your customer base because people paying with crypto could be customers, how big is this? How big, uh, I mean, is that, how big an opportunity is this? Or is it just, you know, the sideline for now, maybe? In regards to your question, how big it is, how 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 standardized it is, um, I think you know, <laughs> I live a little bit in my own bubble, right? In my life, uh, crypto is very present, but always when I go out there, is not so present, right? Um, everyone who has not much contact with this industry still thinks it's a scam, <laughs> and so I think we say. It's like internet in the 90s, right? We have the first applications out there which work, right? We have some proof of concepts uh, which now work. We have, but also proof of concepts which did not work, right? Um, proven by the recent crash of several crypto projects. So I think there's still some way to go, but since this technology is so revolutionary um, because it, can give, it gives the internet value, um, this is something what any platform should in the beginning look at, right? Um, we look at financing your project through giving out digital tokens. That could be a way to raise capital for your platform. If you sell goods, maybe you should look into a new way of payments acceptance. So I think there are different use cases. Yeah, could we say, for example, um, as you said, this kind of cryptocurrencies for countries, it gives them an opportunity, but also for companies in a way to sell products on a global base. Now they need to sell, for example, you, you sell your book online, um, you accept Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, but you could also sell it um, accepting Euro or US dollar or whatever else. Uh, but then it would be would require some maybe additional payment providers and so on. So by um, offering 
selling your or buying your book with cryptocurrencies um, gives you the chance to reach a wider audience. Is this the chance for you or how would you say it? Yeah, I see it in, in, in two, as a wider audience, yes, but in two ways. One is I'm not limited by any cross-border. So let's say I have a I have a client, he's based in um let's say Congo or let's say Angola, he can buy that book with digital currencies, right? So it's a digital book, right? Also important to say. So it's a digital book. Um, and he could then buy this. Whereas let's say in, in that particular country, he has no credit card access. There They, they can't participate in, in that purchase. So you reach a different audience, but in terms of audience, I mean also at the moment, crypto is pretty much an invest, investment vehicle. Nobody really spends the coins, but also there are not many places where to spend the coins, right? So you reach that audience too, who sits on cryptocurrency, doesn't know what to do, and you offer them a product, product accepting that type of digital money, let's say. Um, when I am thinking about Web3, for me, it's also about the blurring of borders. So in the past, we had countries and each country has its own currency. Like we had in Germany with the Deutsche Mark or in France, we had the franc and US, they had the US dollar and so on. So each country has had their own currency. Later on, for example, here in Europe, The countries came together, they formed the European Union. Now, um, I don't know, over 20 states in Europe, they accept the euro, so they have the same currency. Now with cryptocurrencies, I see the same kind of movement, but in a digital way. So we have now with Bitcoin, a cryptocurrency, for example, Bitcoin could be also either or whatever else, but the cryptocurrencies are reflecting a kind of an virtual country because you can pay all around the world with one currency. Everybody is participating in the network, can accept, uh, buy, sell, trade the, the cryptocurrency. So we are moving into a more and more digital world. And is this maybe the beginning or one of the major success criteria for a metaverse? So a kind of a, a kind of a virtual country spanning around the globe without real physical borders. So I, to touch base is one word. What you said is I, I see exactly the same development. First of all, right? You had all the different currencies. Then we needed to figure out. Uh, you know, it wasn't the the answer of all the problems we had. Then in euro, we you know unified, and then we have the euro. And if you translate this. Uh, exactly how you say it, to the digital world. So we have different blockchains, right? They all have, you know, their right to be there. Um, often I get asked, so which one, who will win? And I think it's like the development in the internet, right? In the beginning, there are many projects out there. And then in the end, uh, we figure out which one is the best. Uh, best example, like if we look at the social media a trend, you know, back then there was the first chat programs, ICQ, then MSN, then we moved on to the first social medias like MySpace or in Germany, we had StudiVZ and other versions, which we then later all, you know, moved to Facebook. 
eventually, right? And the same is right now. So we have all these different technologies out there. It still needs to be seen who is the one who actually wins in the end. And then, you know, let's say, become the best, most reliable, um, let's say, cryptocurrency or digital currency, which will be then used in the internet, right? And the metaverse is exactly the same. You have different different projects out there now in the metaverse, all with their different you know approaches uh, and acceptance of tokens and and different blockchains they use to realize their project. In the end, we need to be seen. But I think exactly this is where we move to, right? We move to these less borders, uh, direct transaction from around the globe, um, accepting, sending money, exchanging goods. Uh, and in a way, it already works like this, don't you think? Uh, I think I give you an example. So we are online, you get your social media, you get everything somehow alone, but it's in a 2D graphic, right? You just have an interface, but you don't really walk around in your own world. But soon this will change in the metaverse, right? You, we would sit now together in a virtual room, um, talking online with your avatar, uh, and, you know, we're not so far away from this. In chat programs, you can switch on your camera. You, you don't really see it. It's just 2D, just screen to screen. But, you know, we're working in, on this metaverse, which where you can then borderless meet in a coffee, which you think it's nice in the metaverse. Okay, but when you're talking about money, it's a different thing, right? And I can imagine, I mean, when when you're describing it like this, this, trend you know the question could be well are we still going to need banks or is that going to completely replace banks and therefore should be should banks be shaking in their shoes <laughs> um very valid question uh, often in my lectures, I get asked because the idea is to be decentralized also in web three right without having without having the intermediary uh, that's that's the aim pretty much of the technology. Makes sense, yes, but there are other ways why you need a bank, right? Um, if we look from an institutional point of view, just by laws and regulations, um, there are you know other the professional uh, investors. They by law need to go through a bank to acquire or invest in digital currencies, right? Um, if we look for the from the private side, I think there are several points, right? Um, and the, the, the main which I like is inheritance. So when you have your assets in the bank and you pass away, there's a legal process. So your, your, your kids and their spouse, man, husband will receive those funds. At the moment, when you store your Bitcoin in your wallet, you don't you you in the you know best case you nobody knows and it's difficult to access for your family when you're not there when you don't you know written down the password properly give advice where it works so when we think about then banks yes they need to get started with this technology it's coming for various reasons but from a personal one of view yes banks have their right to be there because let's say of that two use cases which I give. Dear listeners, I hope you enjoy our podcast and you can learn more about building and scaling a successful platform business. 
I'm Matthias, CEO of Fastbreak One. And as you know, we at Fastbreak One are platform entrepreneurs by heart. Since over 20 years, we are building new platforms and this makes us one of the most experienced platform venture builders around the globe. If you are a corporate and you tried out different strategies, consultants, IT partners, but your platform initiative struggles to scale, please check out our assessment services. For example, we work closely together with a leading insurance company who tried to establish a platform for two years, but the results were below expectations and the risk to fail was very high. Within one month, we helped them to understand the bottlenecks and created a step-by-step -step plan to scale. Today, we are working very closely with the company and the platform became a market leader. Yes, we are no consultants. We are entrepreneurs and we love to share the risk and go full in in building new platform ventures. Learn more about our experience and our practices of work at our website www.fastbreak.one or send us an email to contact at fastbreak.one. And now let's go back to the conversation. Tilma, the last point you mentioned is more about the user experience. So it means like uh, we are in the early days of Web3. Uh, it's still a hassle to remember the password and whatever and to hand it over to someone else. And, and the interfaces are, of course, they are getting better and better, but it's still the early days of Web3. So it's still the, use, the user experience, not that bad, not that good. I would come back to the point of decentralized finance. For my understanding, in Web2, Web2, all the internet, is dominated by platforms. It's a kind of closed ecosystems. Each platform like Apple or Spotify or someone else is trying to build up a closed ecosystem around a centralized company. I want to hook in my customers as close as possible to my ecosystem, also Amazon. I want to create a kind of a lock-in effect so that they don't need to leave my ecosystem, my platform, and they can handle everything. Best case is Apple, best case is Amazon. In Web3, we are talking about open platforms, open ecosystems where people can openly participate. And as you mentioned before, in Apple, I can have nowadays in Apple, I have my own avatar. In Spotify, I have my own avatar. In Instagram, I have my own avatar and so on. But in a decentralized way, I share my avatar around multiple ecosystems. So it's more about interoperability across multiple of those ecosystems, more, more an open space. And to act and also to do payments within an, or maybe lending and so on in open ecosystem, it requires a decentralized finance kind of architecture. But decentralized, from my point of view, doesn't mean it's ownerless. Decentralized means maybe you can, as I trade between different ecosystems in a much easier way, but still it is owned by someone. Also, Bitcoin is owned by a group of people around the world, well, a lot of people around the world uh, hosting the network and supporting the network. But there's also a DAO, there is a kind of an organization behind How do you compare the DAOs and the ownership of a decentralized system to what we see nowadays with banks, with centralized or classic banks nowadays? So you said one, one very important word, which is a little bit of a tongue twister, but I think if I pronounce it right, it's interoperability. And this is exactly 
what blockchain is still working on to have cross-chain transactions. Because at the moment, if you send a Bitcoin to a Ethereum address, it's pretty much lost, right? And then coming back onto the closed economy, meaning you've got your different systems like Apple, um, Microsoft, you name them. Right now in the blockchain world, it's pretty similar. We have different projects out there and you need to must imagine them something like a like a like an operating system on your computer you have microsoft you have linux you have you know macintosh they all somehow work the same but the buttons look different so to say and the same is for blockchain right so if you jump on now you decide on a system let's say polkadot you jump on you at the moment you are somewhat like you said closed in that ecosystem you can only act with different projects in that ecosystem, not yet send your funds um, to other chains. And so you're also a little bit locked, but, you know, we're working on this uh, in terms of interoperability that we can create or get rid of this, this borders. And then you were just mentioning, um, We talked about the DAO, so the, the, the organizations behind. I think this is very often a, a, a crucial point to understand or to for, for companies nowadays to better understand the potentials and the implications of Web3 and blockchain and so on. Everybody is saying, okay, nowadays I have clear ownership. I can go to my bank, I ask for things, and uh, if I have a problem, I can ha go to the bank, they give me some answers, hopefully. If I lost my money, I can go to the bank, I can ask for refunding, and so on. So I have a clear ownership and accountability. Um, uh, everything is kind of clear. And of course, I pay for it. I pay some money for it, so the centralized banks also kind of survive and make their own profit. In a decentralized way, How can I imagine ownership and accountability? If Bitcoin belongs to everybody and is owned by everybody and is operated by everybody, and who is taking accountability and ownership of that? I have a good example for this. And so I'm born 88. I, I, I still remember times where I had no computer, then I had a computer, but I think we're all aware of this following example. Accountability. Manage it yourself. I remember times you would buy your flight ticket in a travel agency. And if you go in this shop, that woman purchased the ticket for you. And if something goes wrong, the travel agency would be liable if they booked the wrong flight, right? So then we develop further in the internet, Web2, right? Where you now book your flights yourself. So suddenly the responsibility is in your hand. You need to manage the risk, learn how to manage the risk, right? If something goes wrong, it's on you. And the same is with if you own or hold, or like uh, if you manage your own digital assets, right? If you forget the password, it's gone. And then again, you know, where do, do banks come into place, right? That's also a good use case, right? For everybody who does not want to deal with the self-management, because of risk, not, not enough experience, IT, they could go to your next bank and say, hey, look, I would like to have digital assets. But then in the bank, you know, it's managed how bank manage assets today. So clear what you say there is a shift 
from the accountability from organizations to the private individual in where they have their own control, right? But it, may, it comes maybe with other difficulties, right? If you, if you lose something, then it's your fault. I think this is a very good example explaining it. And um, how I understood is nowadays with Web2, I can go to a bank and they do the job for me. But with decentralized finance, I am as a person or I am as a company, I have the responsibility by myself. But therefore, decentralized finance means providing the infrastructure so that everybody can act on their own. So it's a little bit like Amazon AWS. If AWS is enabling every company to build their own kind of cloud infrastructure and cloud services. So decentralized finance is is a bit similar. So it enables each person or each company to participate and to act and to create their own kind of financial infrastructure. Is this kind of correct? So it's more like empowerment and enablement instead of doing the job for you. Yes, absolutely. Your understanding is is correct into this, right? And I think this also already displays the gap a little bit. So I know people, they still go into the travel agency so other people buy their ticket. And until we're there, then actually people are able to manage their own assets. Until my grandma can't send me Bitcoins, then we haven't reached mass market, right? But this actually uh, touches another question, which is uh, the trust. You said that with decentralized decentralized finance, then we are providing somebody, some organization is providing the infrastructure for people to manage themselves uh, and to be accountable. But that means that this infrastructure also belongs to someone or or, or to some people. And and then it although I can, with a bank I can identify a bank. And I'm supposed to be trusting the bank, although. And but here it's like, okay, this infrastructure belongs to who? To it's in the cloud. It's how do I trust that? So I like I like I like what you said. It's yeah, it is in the cloud. So it is a network. It is out there, right? You can look into the code online. You can, in terms of trust, when you how uh, say initiate a transaction, then you can actually look online where this transaction went. Did it really take place, right? And this creates trust in different in different uh, examples for i give you one it's so let's say you donate money right and then they the organization says oh yeah um we we donated to certain projects in certain regions right but you don't really have oversight of this uh you use cryptocurrency Not, not a particular one. Most of them, you have this feature of following. And then they could prove, hey, guys, we collected X amount of donations. Those are the projects around the world and where we spend the, the money, which was support. And you can see on chain how much money has been really transferred into you know the country. So you create trust where at the moment it's sometimes a bit foggy, right? And you can apply this on different cases which you know creates this sort of trust and often or give me another example is 
when people ask me, how does the technology work, right? How does it work? And who shall, who, who owns this? I often say like, you use email every day, right? Do you? Yes. Do you, do you know how email actually works in the background? No, but I'm not sending my money over email, though. <laughs> it doesn't bear the same uh, weight. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I, I think there's also a kind of a, yeah, it, it's it's still early days. So it's a yep. bit like for nerds. So if, if I'm a nerd uh, in, in Web 2 or in Web 1, I also understood how Web 1 worked. I also did my HTML websites by myself and whatever. I learned how email works and how I can send out an email of setting up an own server and so on. But this was about the nerds, the early adopters. The same as what we see right now with Web 3, sending money with Bitcoin, Ethereum, whatever else, and then checking the transaction online and so on. But if you you talked about your grandma your, and uh, you talked about uh, the mass market and the mass market is, yeah, they are lazy. They want to have a very convenient system. So uh, I don't want, I want to trust the system so I don't need to check every time I send money, each transaction and, 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 and check who is behind or whatever. I just want to trust the system. So I think we are still far away from, or a lot away from, from a really working decentralized finance standard. What do you think should be the next step to establish a, de a working and maybe also a convenient decentralized finance system? However, yeah. however it will look like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, I mean, there, there are different improvements which our industry clearly needs, right? Clear is one, what you said, uh, the UX, UI, user you know, interface and experience. Even though you manage to create an account, it's not really user-friendly, right? Um, it's it's often math, graphs. Nobody wants to deal with this. So, you know, uh, the, uh, the easy access to crypto must be given, right? I think in terms of industry development, um, you, what we see now, it's there, it's out there, it works, there's more adoption, uh, more people trust oh, and understand it's actually working. And this comes then, you know, with regulations, right? Um, one of my colleagues, Thomas Negele in Liechtenstein, uh, you know, drafted the law of TVTG first time Uh, describing tokens, right? Other countries followed, Switzerland, were able, right? Other countries are more and more understanding, uh, seeing the need and use cases and slowly adopt. But uh, it's, it's a process. It's really a process until the last person uh, uses uh, the Bitcoin, right? I sometimes use the wallet of Satoshi, Lightning-based, digital wallet and we send around coins but as you say like nerds right uh, for fun uh, that's that's still still ongoing development and yeah through how do you do this is mostly through education right teach the people what it is um, and then eventually they they will jump on the train The regulations you're talking about, what does it, uh, what does it cover? Is is it what is it on? Uh, does it touch taxes or more governance or or you know what what topics uh, are they trying to frame those regulations? First, for and foremost, is really the definition of what is a coin, 
What is a token? How do we press it into the current framework, legal framework? Uh, the Swiss started around, uh, I think it was 2017, 18, by defining the tokens. So a token, let's say digital money, you can program them and it comes with different functionalities. And sometimes those functionalities, they are, they are made in a way to raise money. And maybe that token is deemed as a security, which requires regulation. Other coins, you have just give you the opportunity to participate in a platform. You join a community, you exchange it for tokens. So this is not a security. And in order to you know, have a sound legal framework, you first need to identify what is this actually, right? And then you have the, the TOKA container model, which is Liechtenstein. Um, you have the, the, the Swiss approach of you know, having payment tokens, utility tokens, hybrid tokens. And other countries, they're not that far, right? They're like, they still ask, what, what is this? Or maybe also they have different problems in their own country, right? Uh, but not looking on financials, but uh, yeah, clearly lacking behind of a basic definition what it is. Does that mean you have one definition per country? If I'm pushing a bit, uh, you know, exaggerating a bit, but uh, is that a, a risk or... Yeah, similar to many other regulations we have out there, the especially in Europe, we are so well unified, but in financial and taxation, it's uh, we are still so different. And the same it is with the with the with the digital assets, right? Uh, there are different uh, definitions. They all somehow go in the right way, but still, we are far away from any harmonization of those of this terminology. Yes, and yeah, I think it's also. In very interesting time, um, what we will witness in the next 10 years or so, as mentioned before, I see here the blurring of country borders. And um, now what we see is also each country tries to implement the taxation system, which connects the country and maybe the local currency to the crypto world. But the crypto world is really kind of with a system without borders. So how can you, so it's, it looks a bit like the trying of countries, existing countries to connect and hook a kind of a, a, a borderless system to their own system and maybe to survive or whatever. So I think the borderless system of, of Web3 has a big movement behind. And now it, it will be really interesting to see how we, how it will turn out in the next 10 or maybe 50 years or 100 years or whatever, because we have borders, we have countries in our world, then we have a borderless system. Maybe we have a parallel system in the future, like the metaverse. So you live in a physical country, but you also, your digital identity lives in a metaverse, which is borderless around the world. So it will be really interesting to see how this will turns out and also to see how companies can survive in this um yeah in this decentralized finance and decentralized space yeah i think you you're right you're right on this um, it's still a far way to go until you really live just in the metaverse right right now we still need to somehow pay our bills offline and and have this conversion between offline and online business um countries 
use this um, for, of course, you know, own advantage. Uh, smaller countries just, you know, maybe by geographic disadvantage, they need to look into new ways of, you know, um, participating in glo global trade, such as having no or little um, taxes on crypto generated profits. Uh, this is definitely, in, um, how do you say, uh, a development which I can see. But more importantly, it's like, how though this should, should this all work when we really, uh, you know, be just online in, in the metaverse, right? You, you, you use this new concept of DeFi, you use concepts just play to earn. So you would play virtual games and earn cryptocurrencies. So all these concepts we have going to office and like, you can just do this online. You know, probably the generation even after me, the, they maybe just have a you know desk at home and live in the internet. In in the in the preparation, uh, some comment made me laugh about the misunderstandings about crypto. And you said one of the biggest misunderstandings is crypto is for thieves. <laughs> Have you got a you know a, a comment on this? I found that quite funny, but uh, maybe maybe that is the real perception. <laughs> Yeah, 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 uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, so what I say in my bubble, uh, my crypto bubble here, uh, you know, all my contacts, friends, and so they're all in the world. So we, of course, you know, understand like it's not a currency for the dark web, you know, it's not, you know, we have KYC standards. If you want to acquire Bitcoin, um, you know, it's all public out there on the chain. You use a blockchain explorer and can transfer all um Uh, transactions, they are forensic tools. So even though there's, let's say, a hacking uh, attack on a digital exchange, the funds are stolen. Nowadays, you can trace and track them uh, and they become useless because they sit somewhere in a digital wallet, right? Uh, and then every move... Uh, is is on chain. So people are just waiting. It doesn't matter if you wait five or 10 or 15 years, people wait until those funds are moved. So I think this misconception that Bitcoin is to launder money and to buy things you shouldn't buy in the dark web, uh, I think this is one of the biggest misconceptions in hindering development and acceptance. Another question comes coming to my mind, uh, looking into the future, Uh, what we see is maybe, um, oh, how to explain? Bitcoin is just a cryptocurrency. It's a very, very simple use case. It's a currency you can trade, you can use for payment and so on. With Ethereum, we have seen the introduction of smart contracts. So Ethereum is a cryptocurrency with Ether, but at the same time, it's also a programmable technology and, and, and so on. So you can also build on top of Ethereum some kind of use cases. Do you think it is good or bad to have such a technology which has a kind of a hybrid model? Like you can build use cases and payment. Or should we have it like we have right now in the web world we have taken yeah kind of protocols and the protocols help me to build a website or to build applications and then i have an extra currency like the euro or the us dollar or whatever so it's kind of split it or do you think no in the web3 world it's absolutely a must-have to have those kind of hybrid protocols hybrid uh, technologies including yeah where, where you combine 
payment and or, or cryptocurrencies and other token models, other technology parts? Yeah, how can maybe I... a tough question? Yeah, exactly, <laughs> because the first thing I say. So maybe I'm a little. My answer is a little bit biased because you know I do this now professionally since 2016, and it works, right? And uh, I'm an absolute supporter of this this whole economy for various reasons. You know, I grew up in developing countries, so if I want to send or receive funds from there, then of course it doesn't work with traditional way. Then in the DeFi space, to what you said, like um, uh, Ethereum use case uh, you can you know just uh, have money online and it works for you uh, without doing much and with higher yields than the offline world can give you so that feeling that i could technically put lock up a certain amount of funds online receive a double digit interest rate on this which gives me let's say financial freedom right uh, so of course i'm i'm a big supporter i uh, i'm a, yeah block blockchain crypto nerd maybe also <laughs> and so i can't wait until ethereum finally merges from proof of work to proof of stake because that's will will be just awesome so you see a, a lot of tough questions here in this podcast <laughs> and yeah, you did a very good job in answering all of our questions and uh, yes also very very curious about how this whole web3 development will will go on and uh, as mentioned earlier we have done a project together in the decentralized finance space uh, with Bastion so we are also um, yeah very curious um, to see how it returns out um, and um, if it will survive or not and um, we, we are really hopeful to, that it will but uh, let's see nobody knows at the end um, so yeah Tilma thank you for joining our podcast and But before we're coming to a, the real end, you always ask our guests uh, for a kind of a leadership advice. So uh, our podcast is for a lot of leaders out there in a platform world, the platform economy. What would be your kind of advice to those kind of leaders uh, exploring Web3, exploring crypto, exploring decentralized finance? Is there anything you would recommend to them? Yeah, get involved get involved in the space play around with the technology buy you know for a few hundred bucks some bitcoins send them trade them you know play around get a feeling how this how this all works uh, you know re read about it books like mastering bitcoin mastering ethereum uh, to get started and of course the banking bitcoin taxation handbook and last but not least what adam back said uh the inventor of Hashcash, don't trust, verify. Very good point. So get educated, get involved. So uh, And don't trust and verify. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and trust. There, there, there was again trust. Trust. Don't yes, trust. Yeah, exactly. Don't, don't trust. <laughs> don't trust. <laughs> very, thank you very much, Tilma, for joining. And maybe in one, two years, we can continue and having a, another episode where we reflect the progress of Web3 and decentralized finance. Maybe we meet thank you very much for joining. Thank you very much, Thank you, Matthias. Thank Bye. you. Ciao, ciao.